when you're bald, you have a lotion on your head, Justin. Is that true? It's a very, very true thing. Otherwise, it gets really dry. I didn't know that. Winter's coming. Mind Gap Podcast. Guys, welcome to Mind Gap. I'm Doug. I'm Justin. And boy, we are flying solo today. You're welcome. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. It's been Mind Gap. <laughs> now, we're rocking out today, guys. Uh, just Justin and Doug doing something that uh, I've been hoping we would do for a really long this time. This has been on Doug's bucket list for quite some time and now. we finally did it. We found time in the weekend to, uh, to watch the movie Predestination. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've just watched it. And now we're going to discuss it. So, guys, if you haven't watched Predestination starring Ethan Hawke, I uh, highly recommend it. Justin, would you recommend it I, at the top? I would I would absolutely recommend it now. Starring Ethan Hawke, Denzel Washington, Uma Thurman, <laughs> nope. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, nope. Emma Stone, nope. uh, not, Peter Parker. All those people are not uh, in that Stan movie. Stan Lee, the Hulk. <laughs> Ethan Hawke's in the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's an Australian independent film uh, dealing with time travel. Yes, um, and, and as well as other things. So I will paradoxes. say this at the very, 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 very top. If you have not seen it, there are massive spoilers ahead. Yes. So pause it, watch it, restart the episode, and then we can go forward because we will be ruining the entire We're going to break this you. down because this movie definitely warrants a breakdown. So, Plus, Doug won't stop talking about breaking this movie down until yes. we break it down. So exactly. this, is, this is really, A, because it warrants a breakdown, and mm-hmm. B, to satisfy Doug. Exactly. Finally. It has to happen. <laughs> So, and we want to call out Drew right now. Yes, uh, our re- returning guest, uh, our, our uh, not returning guest because he's not here, but our our frequent guest, a yes. frequenter of the podcast, uh, who is not doing this with us today, and mm. that was part of the thing that Doug wanted to have happen. So, it's Drew, true. you've made Doug partially sad today. So, well yeah. done. Well Thanks. done. Thanks. You made my daughter cry. You, you did. He. I was over there, and she I cried. saw her. She's like, "Where is Uncle Drew?" And I was like. He doesn't love you. He's on vacation. <laughs> he's he's eating hot dogs on sticks. <laughs> he's not here. In in Ohio. In higher. So guys, uh, without further ado, we're going to start uh, digging into this movie. So uh, All right. predetermination. Predestination. <laughs> so right off the bat, uh, Justin, what are your initial thoughts? Uh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> my initial thoughts. Um, Okay, so when the movie started off, uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect mm-hmm. from it. Um, you know, I I had read the synopsis like on IMDb. I won't read if I'm if I'm looking forward to seeing a movie. I won't read the synopsis mm-hmm. on Wikipedia because they actually go yeah. through the full plot synopsis and yeah. give you the ending. So I was like, let me just get like the the written version of the trailer, right? So yeah. I went through that. I didn't even want to see the trailer because I didn't want to have any preconce. I just wanted to hear like it, you know. It's about this guy who does this because of this, and mm-hmm. he learned something at the end yeah. or whatever. So uh, came into it knowing absolutely nothing, <clears throat> and um, I will say overall, I, lo- I I thought it was a great movie. Mm-hmm. I, I there was definitely some plot twists I didn't see coming, mm-hmm. and we will get into those. Uh, there were some things that I thought it telegraphed a little sure. pretty blatantly. So there was like I was like, oh okay, I bet you, yep, okay, that's the thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it kept me guessing just enough to to go. Oh, it was kind of cool, and I thought it was a unique idea. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely played. It essentially played with a version of the grandfather paradox. Yes, but more 
Well, I guess it's not ancestral if it's, well. If it's yourself. If it's yourself. It's just <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was, it was, it, it had familiar themes, but did it in a kind of a, a unique way, which I thought was cool. And I'll give huge kudos to uh, the writer because that's a hell of a story to, mm-hmm. to actually flesh out to the point where, now, again, <clears throat> any time travel movie, you're going to watch it and you're going to go, there's bl- glaring sure. plot holes yeah. because time travel is not real yeah. yet. And, <laughs> and uh, According to this movie, it's real. It's it happened. That's true. In 1981. In 1981. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, there, there's so many different you know, theories behind time travel that you can – there's glaring plot holes in sure. almost every time travel movie. I don't know if there's ever been a quote-unquote perfect one. Oh, yeah. But I feel like, at least for me, the, uh, the, the holes in how, the, the, the how it works – uh, were very minimal in this. Mm-hmm. I, I I bought I bought all the explanation that they kind of laid out for me. Sure, I was able to ingest it pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Well, this movie was originally based on a novel. Um, okay, I don't remember the name of it, um, but it plays out pretty much pretty similarly. Um, in and I read the synopsis of the novel, um, and uh, I think it's something along the lines of like all you zombies. Or I, th- I think it's called all you zombies. Okay, and they make a they say that line in the movie, which yeah. I love. Uh, first of all, Ethan Hawke is tremendous in this movie. Like he kills it. This movie, like I always enjoyed Ethan Hawke, but it made me like fall in love with him. Like, yeah, I was like, this guy does such an incredible job in this movie. Just, just completely kills it, knocks it out of the park. Um, but I remember watching the trailer for this movie and going like, oh, cool, I'm on board. This seems like some sort of time travel, you know, chindig. I'm on board for it. And then I remember watching it, and I was like. The cold open, I'm like, cool, it's on board with what I think it is, and then it just whoop, takes a turn. So That before- was the thing that threw me. <laughs> I, it took a huge yes. like right turn, did, did not see it coming, yeah. and then took another turn back to where you initially thought it was coming, yeah. and then took one more turn. Yeah. Again, like it was very, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I guess we'll just go ahead and get into it. So the movie uh, starts... Sarah Snook, by the way. Sarah, yes. Uh, or Snook. Yeah. Snook. Uh, I also want, like, she was fantastic in this movie, yes. too. Yes. No, 100% yeah. agree. Um, she played both uh, a female character and a male character. Right. And she did both. Officially very... titled The Unmarried Mother is yes. what, on IMDb, what she's credited in the mm-hmm. movie as. Yeah, she's fantastic. Does an incredible job. And very looks very similar to Emma Stone, I agree. Like, yeah. At first I thought it was her, and I'm like, no, I don't think that's her. Yeah. So the movie starts with... If I were going to recast this movie. You, <laughs> yes. If we're going to recast it, Emma Stone. Speaking to if a If we're going to make this an American production, right. not that fucking Australian shit. Speaking to a prior podcast episode. <laughs> um, but it starts with a... Um, in a... What well, looks like a train station? Or some sort of transportation? Some building? Office building? It seems like. And... Uh, Is it when... It- they're trying to undo the... Uh, He's trying to dismantle the bomb. Dismantle the bomb, yeah. yeah. And then he fights, uh, has a gun battle. Or yeah. a, 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 a hatted and cloaked figure, uh, a trench-coated figure, mm-hmm. is walking with purpose with a violin case and a, and a box towards the, the furnace room of some building of note, it seems yep. like. Um, it's, I think, in the 60s-ish time. Uh, it was six. No, it was 70... <laughs> we better get these times right, am I right? <laughs> I don't remember when it was. Was it sixty? It was either sixty four or seventy four. Because remember, he at the end he came back. Oh no, seventy four was when the big thing happened. Yes, this is probably seventy five is when the big thing happened. Okay, so then yeah. this was in the sixties. I think yeah. it was around sixty four. Yeah, yeah. So 
character goes and it, there's a bomb set up at um, this facility in the furnace and there's like two minutes left. And right. the person, I think it's stuck to some oil drums or something. Something like that. Yeah. And they're basically the the hatted and cloaked figures trying to dismantle it and they have like a little bomb disposal case that they're going to put it in. And uh, they get distracted. They hear someone behind them and they um, fire a couple of shots. Nothing happens. And then uh, with only a couple seconds left, they take the bomb, put it in the disposal device. They don't get it closed all the way, so it explodes, and it catches them on fire. Mm -hmm. This person's just burning horribly on the ground. And then we see another set of shoes walk into frame. We don't know who they belong to. And uh, they hand them the violin case, and the person's face is horribly burned and scarred, and they mess around under their breathing raspily, and they punch the button, and then they just disappear. And then we smash cut to someone who's in a hospital with their faces covered up. Right. And they're reading weird notes. They're reading notes. Re- weird notes, and they go through a re- rehabilitation process, and they say a doctor. Say things like, your face you know, is going to look different than you remember it. Right. Your vo- voice is going to sound different than you, remember, than you remember it sounding, and yada, yada, yada. They're honored with some sort of medal, but they're also looking at newspaper clippings of someone known as the Fizzle Bomber. Right. Who apparently has been ravaging causing problems for a while and they're apparently trying to capture him and this person's angry that they weren't able to capture him so um we see them recover and then they're told they basically have to go on one final mission they get to go on one final mission uh it's ethan hawk as we see his his face is revealed to be mm-hmm. and ethan hawk suits up puts on a 70s vest we get this really cool sort of like voiceover describing like almost as if someone like he's giving himself advice or something like that over a tape recorder right um, yeah, we come to find out later that he's got a whole stock of tape recorders that he's been he's been kind of recording like almost a di- a, a, a verbal diary of a diary uh, and almost like a how to like this is what how you to do your do. job yeah 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 and he uh, is basically told okay you're going to do your mission um, you know if you deviate from this in any way shape or form you will be court martialed and if you are found guilty you will be terminated yep so he agrees and then he walks off and then he. <laughs> We cut to a drastic tone difference <laughs> in 1970s uh, Cleveland, I think it is. Yes, and I uh, think I think it's Cleveland. No, 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 that's isn't it? I thought maybe it's New York. Is it New York? I don't know. <laughs> it's the 70s. I think you're right. It might be New York. I think I think you're right because yeah. that's where the big yeah yeah blast happened. So we see Ethan Hawke working now as a bartender. Yep, <laughs> in his someplace. 70s garb. Yep, in his 70s garb, just like average bartender. Like we didn't just see him, you know do any sort of time travel or right. any sort of suiting up or whatsoever. Just He's just a bartender. He's just kind of there. Yeah, yep. hanging out. And uh, we see this man walk in, and uh, they sit at the table uh, at the bar, and we're seeing news reports about the fizzle bomber. Right. Everyone's and, uh, scared, and it's going to be, you know, is he's gonna is it going to be another one that strikes big? And Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Ethan Hawke strikes up a conversation uh, with, this, with this guy. The guy's very standoffish, kind of got a chip on his shoulder, being real shitty. To each other, but that's what I loved about this movie is the conversation between them was fantastic. Like that could have easily been like really fucking boring. Yeah, well, the the conversation was fantastic, and and the the emotions that the actors took us through because they I I totally bought the fact that initially when the man walked in and talked to Ethan Hawke started talking to Ethan Hawke, uh, it uh, you know they were the the man was kind of being kind of a dick and Ethan Hawke was like all right geez what's your problem man yeah. like I'm just trying to have conversation with you yeah and it was it was kind of like it basically called him out on being a dick yeah it was like I don't know what your problem is right now like you know it was, 
And then slowly uh, they warmed up. Like, the, the man kind of warmed up. They started finding common interests. Mm-hmm. Still a little standoffish, but, like, almost like... It was almost like a sparring match. Like, mm-hmm. like gauging to see where the other person was coming from and sure. how good they were and were they... Is this a mental equal or, yeah. like, are you lesser than I am or whatever? And sure. They, they, and then, so finally they started to, like, realize, oh, we're kind of on the same page here. Yeah. And, yeah. <clears throat> and so then... it, But then they the characters took us to a place of where they almost became empathetic of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And then basically the character who we find out his name is John, mm-hmm. who's walked into the bar, is talking to Ethan Hawke's character, the bartender. We'll call him Barry the bartender. Um, it's not his real name. That's what I'm going to call him. Barry and John. Um, and then basically John says something along the lines of, like, I've got a story, you know, that yeah. it'll blow you, basically blow your mind. And yeah. Ethan Barry's basically like, well... I've heard a lot. I'm a bartender. You know, I hear a lot of weird shit. Not much. You know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, John basically is like, I bet you this bottle of liquor that uh, I'll have the strangest story you've ever heard. And uh, Barry's like, game on. All right, here you go. So he hands him a bottle of Dewar's. He's like, let's do this. Right. So he starts talking. He's really hesitant. But John eventually starts the story was uh, when I was a little girl. And then Ethan Hawks Barry turns and looks at him and is like, what? And he goes, do you want me to finish the story or what? And he's like, wait, what? Right. And you realize that, um, John, there's something off. And you can and you realize real quick, like, oh, this is a woman who yeah. is playing this character as a man. But it yeah. also makes sense. You're like, oh, okay, cool. So this is, all right, cool. Because there was something I'm like, what is it about this character that seems weird? Like from the, the moment they yeah. walked into the bar. Yeah. I had the same thought. Because I was actually going to turn to you and ask, is this... Is that a man? Like, yeah. I, there, I, you could just tell, like the 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 presence. I mean, she did a wonderful job playing oh, that role, but yeah. like you could you could still tell, like there. I think that, that was intentional as well. Yeah. Like, this is a person who's tried to assimilate, yeah, from one gender to the other. Yeah, and they've done the best that they can, and for the most part, it's passable. But there's something yeah. where you're like, what is? And it again, about through you? keep in mind, in the, at this time, we're in the 70s. Yeah, you know, it's it's and so they and they're adults, so they have come through the 60s into the 70s exactly. as into this, you know. So at that time, you know, all the the surgeries and the, there wasn't as much no like it was yeah. it was still not to where it is today the sure. transitional process. So it, you, you, I think they did a good job kind of honoring where it was at the time. Exactly. Yeah. So then John starts telling the story about when he was a girl named Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an orphan, right? Left at this orphanage in Cleveland, Ohio. And how she grew up just um, not knowing really. Not really having anyone to love her, so she became a very hardened soul. She right. learned how to fight. Love and affection and sex always confused her because she didn't understand it. She right. said she always just she understood how everything fit together, so it was right. always weird for her. So she fought a lot at the orphanage, which is very she much, was incredibly strong and very adept at fighting. Yeah, learned how to fight really well. But she was also incredibly intelligent as well. Yes, yeah, she excelled at advanced physics and mathematics, and it was in school she never had a problem. She exactly. pulled straight A's. So, and, you know, she basically, no one at her school liked her. I wouldn't right. call it school, the orphanage. No one liked right, her. Right, right. But then when she's about to leave, she gets a notice that, hey, they have this opening for this, what was it called, Space Port? Space Corps. Space Corps, which yeah. is one of the worst names ever. But it sounded like something from the 60s. Yeah. Space Corps! Right, yeah. Which was hilarious. So, so they were, and initially it was proposed to her essentially as, because uh, at the time women couldn't be astronauts. Mm-hmm. And so it was, but if <clears throat> men being out in space for so long and away from the planet... <laughs> Uh, had certain needs that they needed attended to. And essentially, the way I read it is they were uh, gearing women up to go into space to essentially be like mate with the astronauts. No, basically, they're there to be like sex dolls. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially, yeah. 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 I was like, which what? is a very, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. a very odd. Uh, it's so weird because 
she obviously accepts the invitation. She goes to the initial interview, and she even says like most of the women there were hookers, yeah, or there was just some people they just they didn't understand what they were going to be doing, and she was there for the sake of she wanted to travel in the space, right? She wanted she was smart enough to be an astronaut. This exactly. is this is the way that she knew that she could at least get to space to do whatever, yeah. So when she's going through the interview process, like all the astronauts are like sizing her up, they're like, yeah. take off your glasses, and she takes off her glasses, and they're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I see, you got some problem with uh, some discipline problems, and they're basically like, "Is she gonna be, you know, yeah. is she gonna shut up and do what she needs to do?" Yeah, it was really. I didn't. I that part bothered me. I was just like, "Gross." The the, the line that I loved is if he, you know he asked, "Have you ever been with a man?" And she goes, "Have you?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "That's the best." And the astronauts laughed too. They're like, "Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck you." Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she gets through this process, and then uh, finally, through all this testing and everything, she gets accepted, or almost gets accepted. Mm-hmm. Then she ends up getting in a fight again with one of the because no none of the other applicants like her. Yeah. So she gets in a fight, and then essentially gets kicked out of the program. Yes, she has a thorough examination, and we find out that she has a thorough examination, and it's something seems to be amiss, but we're not told what it is. And the head of the department, who was I can't remember the character's name at this point in time, Mister. Mr. Anderson. Uh, Mr. Robertson. Mr. Robertson. He sees the results and then basically is like, did you tell her? He's like, no. He's like, the doctor. And the doctor's like, no. He's like, then don't tell her. Right. I'll take care of this. Essentially, Mr. Robertson goes and tells uh, Jane, um, you know, by the way, um, you, uh, you, can't, you can't do this anymore. But I'm not going to give up on you. So right. hang I'm going to still, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the appeal board. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can get this re- reversed and get, get you back into the program. So she gets dumped out in the, into the world. She tries to, um, she picks up time. Uh, was it? She's a uh, mother's assistant. Right. She's essentially something. a maid. Yeah. Yeah. Basically irons clothes, things like that. Cleans the house. She finds an affinity for looking at magazines with uh, womanly confessionals. Yeah, specifically one. I think the magazine was called Confessionals. Yes, and it's essentially yeah, just a kind of a uh, you know tra- trash tabloid, kind of like what they would call the rags. You yeah. know, like just reading off the the, the garbage. Exactly, yeah. like it, the woman's insight into love, betrayal, and right. murder, and sex, soap and, operas for magazines, yeah, more yeah. or less. So she found an affinity it's, it's, for those. It's the G-rated penthouse forum. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. But for ladies. Yeah. <laughs> so um, she's moving along here, and she's also uh, taking some classes, some etiquette classes. Right, because she Which also was really disturbing seeing that, like, that there was a class that she would go to at a school. It looked like a university of sorts. Right. Where they would sit there with dining setups, and they'd be like, "During breaks in conversation, you will take your fork and turn it upside down onto the plate and move your knife sideways at a forty-five degree angle." Blah 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 blah. blah. And everyone's sitting there with this. I'm like, "Wow, this is what's expected of you to do." Damn right. That's <laughs> sorry. What did I say? Wait, that? I just came out. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So she's taking the thing, classes. The thing there. is, though, that at one time that was, and yeah. I'm sure, I don't, maybe in still in high society, it's still, <laughs> it, they still do that. I don't know. But like that actually, like etiquette classes were a thing. Like yeah. you had to know all that bullshit. Sure. Yeah. Like how to stand. Right. Like how to walk. Some bullshit. Like yeah. with books on your head so that, you know, you walk a certain way elegantly so that the books don't fall off right. your head. Like, so, which is hilarious seeing this character because she said she's she's never been bad at anything, but she was bad at that. Right, exactly. And she was like she excelled at everything else in school except this was foreign to her. Yeah, yeah just socially, she's always been kind of a loner. Yeah. So um, she hears back from Mr. Robinson, who said, like, you know, hey, you know, we're actually not taking people to space. We've actually got a kind of a shadow government organization. This is a front to kind of weed people out for this. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. Um, but basically, we're looking for people that don't have, you know. 
significant others, don't have kids, don't have any family because it's a very it's for the very elite. Right. So she's all super pumped, and one day when she's coming out of her uh, etiquette class, she bumps into some dude, and this dude and her strike up this amazing relationship. She's never been in love her entire life. She finally figures out what love means to her, and mm-hmm. yeah. And she decides, you know, you know what? She finally she's been very absent most of her life because yep. she's like her big thing was I never want to have a child that doesn't have both a, a father and a mother. Right. She was very adamant about that, so she's like, I because of that, I'm not interested in having sex because I don't right. want this. You know, I want the same thing to happen to me that happened to have someone else. Right. So she starts, you know, dating this person. We don't really see who they are, or we don't. Um, and then we learn that um, the guy just randomly leaves her one night. Yep. He says, "Hey, wait right there. I'll be right back." While they're in the park, disappears, doesn't come back. So she's just livid at that point in time, and then she finds out that she's pregnant. Right. And because she's pregnant, she can't do that program exactly. that Mr. Robertson asked, uh, talked to her about. So she's furious about that. So, But she ends up going to uh, deliver her child, who uh, she delivers and names Jane, just after her mother. Right. And Keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. Keep the family name going. And then something crazy happens. What happens, Justin? Well, the doctor says, have you ever had a thorough examination? She says, yes. She goes, does the doctors ever tell you anything? She says, no, what are you talking about? Well, while they're doing the cesarean and removing the child, they actually noticed that she had two full sets of uh, organs inside of her, uh, both male and female. Because of the uh, uh, extreme bleeding during the uh, C-section, they had to give her a hysterectomy and remove her ovaries and her uh, fallopian tubes and everything, her uterus, her uterus and the, the whole nine yards. And so uh, they basically took it upon themselves to um, kind of extract, if you will, and uh, rebuild the mm-hmm. male um, uh, side of her anatomy. And so basically, while she was under sedation, they... They gave her a sex change operation so she could have so she could have a gender essentially. What killed me was that which, which again I <laughs> just because you're removing just because someone has a hysterectomy doesn't necessarily mean they don't have a gender any longer. But like, yeah, it killed me that they just did that without her consent. I know that's that's she was just under a, the whole yeah. time. They're like, well, you know, it'd be cool. Let's let's connect this. You know, yeah, it seems like it'll work. Look, she doesn't have ovaries or a uterus anymore, so she must be a man. Right, 1960s Here, talking. There we go. Or 50s Boop. talking. So yeah. don't worry. Over time, we'll just monitor your hormone levels. You'll become a man. Right. You're, so you're, you're welcome. Yeah. So they let Tip her know. Jars that, out front. Right. So her female her female uh, organs had had developed just enough for to allow her to become pregnant and to carry to term, um, and then. Obviously, they, you know, unbeknownst to her, when she went underwent the, uh, you know, uh, transformation surgery to become a, a man, came out and they monitored her hormone levels, uh, gave her a couple more surgeries to kind of finalize everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they worked on her vocal cords a little bit. Um, she taught herself to speak lower. She started to kind of accept, begrudgingly accept the fact that she had to live her life as a man, as a man now. And then, but uh, before she fully took that on, something tragic happened. Right, as she was going through the process of accepting this, uh, her baby Jane was stolen out of the nursery. Right, late night, the nurse uh, was walking out of the nursery, and some we we see a shot of a gloved hand like stopping the door, kind of sliding in, and we see the the a man in a trench coat with a glove mm-hmm. remove the baby, and the baby goes away. And that just wrecked. 
And James. She, yeah, she she completely loses it because her child has been stolen from her. Yes. And uh, so then she decides, uh, she goes through a, f- a couple other jobs. Uh, she does like a temp thing. And yeah, she, she, you know, she fully commits to being a man. Um, she moves to, I think she said, New York. Right. Um, and she basically, um, she starts out as a fry cook. It's not working for, for him, I should say, at this point, right. for him. And then he uh, starts working as a stenographer and right. then starts seeing these like trashy stuff, uh, trashy little confessional stuff being uh, written and getting sold. So he's like, fine, I'll do that. Right. He remembers, I used to like to read these magazines. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I can do this. So he had a very unique perspective on the female mind. So right. he was able to basically write very adeptly at like what women were thinking and what they right. were doing. So he wrote this, had this persona, the unmarried mother. Right. Who wrote these confessional stories? And, and everyone, I mean, and and got a following behind it, and like yeah. it was kind of one of the the favorite featured articles in this magazine mm-hmm. was was any time that this person would submit it, mm-hmm. yeah. And then uh, and that's really where we start to kind of it comes back around to present day. Like so, the, there was a huge tonal shift when we go from cold open, where we see Ethan Hawke dressing up, going. So uh, you guys probably felt like what we just felt. A little right. bit, a little snapshot of it. So we have the cold open where it's like time cops, and then it was like that was unrehearsed. By the way, that was amazing. And then it's like backstory, and it's like the 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 shift and the momentum is very jarring, but it's a beautiful story. Right, I was sucked in immediately. I think totally it works though too because. It is jarring, like mm-hmm. like the, the characters in and of themselves are having this jarring moment. Like, holy shit, this is a this is a very like this is a yarn to weave. Like, this is exactly. a very big story that you're telling at a drunk at a bar. Like, sure. yeah, yeah. And if it's something interesting too, uh, if you're when you're if you ever watch the movie again, while the story is being told, you'll notice behind Ethan Hawke, there's a ladies and a gentleman sign up for the bathrooms. Which I thought uh, was I predominantly predominantly in frame, which I thought was interesting. Interesting. Uh, there's other little tidbits I'll throw out as we go along. Okay. Um, so at this point, John has finished up his story, and he's like, "All right, do I get the bottle?" Do I win. And uh, Barry, the bartender, is like, "Nah, it's not bad, but eh. yeah." And John, and most of the people are gone from the bar at this point, and uh, yeah. John's like confused, like, "What the shit?" And then, and then. Uh, Ethan, uh, Barry, basically. Barry also had a great point. There was something earlier where he was asking, he was asking some probing questions that John, like, he got very serious. He's usually happy. This character that, that uh, Barry is is very like, ah, ooh, I'm a bartender in the 70s. And then he has a very defining moment where he starts asking very pointed questions. Like, what about love? Right. You know? What about and then John's like, oh, I don't have, you know, fuck love. Like, what's love? It doesn't mean anything. I, I want a purpose. Right. And then, like, Barry's trying to I feel like he's leading him where right. he wants him to go like letting him sort of like puff his chest out but obviously Barry knows exactly where to take right. the conversation so ultimately at this point in time Barry's like you know you know John's like give me the bar give me the bottle I won and then Barry's like what if I could put him in front of you in, yeah. in reference to the guy that left her left her with a baby left her you know yes. sitting on the park bench and just completely like tore her heart out yeah and you also hear some notion in those voices like you know maybe the fizzle bomber because you hear little snippets about the fizzle bomber news right well John was on. like you know well maybe he's you know maybe maybe people do need to get shook up and so yeah. it's kind of alluding to think well, wait is this the fizzle bomber yeah are you gonna like, is Barry gonna finally catch this guy that he's been yeah. you know time traveling after you know for for and I, I think at this point we should also allude to the fact that like Barry the agency Barry works for mm-hmm. is and the one that uh that uh John. Mr. Robinson mm-hmm. was was proposing to because 
he uh, when you know prior yes. to her getting pregnant, he he had propositioned her again to work for a di- when he was saying the secret organization. Yes, is you know we take care of problems kind of before they happen. Essentially, this organization is a uh, they've they've figured out time travel and they'll go back and try to to stop terrible events prior to them happening or or correct wrongs that have happened in the world. Exactly. So they'll see something terrible happen right. and then they'll send agents back in time to basically stop them from happening. Right. They've got a very close set time uh, uh, frame of parameters that they have to work within because, mm-hmm. you know, they understand that if you go outside these parameters, you deviate, terrible things can happen to the, you know, space time, uh, basically yes. to the history. And so they're like, look, you go back, you have one thing to do, mm-hmm. you stay within these parameters. You don't and talk you, to many people, right. you talk to as few people as possible because... Keep your conversation short. You are there, yeah. you basically blend in, you, you do your job, you, you don't exist. Yeah. yeah, like you don't want to be stand out there, and then you come back when it's done. Yeah. Done, yeah. So so <clears throat> John goes, well, what if I could put you, or bar- the, the bartender goes, what if I could put this guy in front of you? Yeah. And she goes, wait, or John goes, wait, you don't... You don't even know who this guy is. And Barry starts, like, rattling off a lot of specific details, like, that he shouldn't know. Right. And John starts freaking out. He's like, well, like, you've been following me? Are you a cop? What yeah. are you, like, so, yeah. Oh, so, sorry. We jumped ahead real quick. That's fine. So, to, to, to what we were saying, uh, so Barry's been after this. Fizz, the, the Fizzle Bomber is the one person that, for some reason, every time he jumps back, he's never been able to catch this guy. Yes. Never been able. It's, something's always happened to foil it, and this giant explosion Always happens in New York and kills about ten thousand people. people. Right. So he. So he's. So we're at the as an audience, we're led to believe at this point, like, holy shit! Did does he know? Like, is this the person? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like John is saying, like, kind of speaking in in terms of like people deserve to be punished. Yeah. So we're th- it leads you to the audience because there's a lot of anger in, in John's heart because yeah. he doesn't have anyone. Anything good that's happened has been taken away from. Right. Him. Exactly. So, He's angry at this point in time. So, so Barry finally goes. Barry you know, asks. He goes, "What if I could put him in front of you?" And he's like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "What if I could put the man who ruined your life? I could, I could put him in your lap." Right. And what if I told you that I could guarantee you could get away with it? Would you kill him? Yeah. And John's without even a hesitation. John goes, "Yes." Yeah. And then Barry kind of nods. He's like, "All right, let's go." And there's obviously a lot of banter back and forth, like, go where? Blah 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 yeah. blah blah. Eventually, Barry's like, "Hey, Mr. Robinson sent me." You know, to do, you know, for you. And he's like, you know, Robinson? He's like, yeah. So they go to the basement, and this is, it's hilarious because we kind of have an idea. Ethan Hawk's also kind of creepy because it's a dark basement. I'm like, yeah. I couldn't really read his motivations. At I the honestly first time. thought he was going to just pop, pop John and kill him right there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because he's leading him down, and John's like, I'm not going down to the basement. He's like, look, you're just going to have to trust me. Right. He's like, and then he goes down there, they go to the cellar, and like, Barry just locks the door immediately. Right. And then Sean's like, what are you doing? And he's like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. He's like getting all this stuff. He gets out a violin case. And then eventually uh, Barry then pushes a button and they time travel back to 1964. Right. Where essentially. Um, the moment where the guy left her from the bench. Exactly. Yeah. So um, this is where we get a little bit of ex- explanation about how time travel works. Right. And it's pretty loose, and I don't fault them too much for it. Because the one thing I don't fully understand is how there's always clothes or money wherever they need right. them to be. Well, the other thing is I don't really – it's not the focal point. No. How how they're time traveling is not so much – is not so important as the relationships sure. that are being formed between these these different people. So exactly. I'm like, look, this is a secondary thing. Yeah, and he yeah. even says, they're like, how's this happening? He's like, it's complicated. And I'm like, you know what? I'm right. going to let that go. I'm not going to get pissy about Which this. Which actually I like. Like yeah. the fact that he's just like, look, don't worry about it. Don't – it's basically talking to the audience going – Relax. He's like, look, it's it's a whole. Of thing. all things, we're going to focus on. This is the worst thing to focus on. Right. Let's talk about something right. else. Right. You're going to bring up these questions. The character's going to bring it up. Right. You know, we're going to move from there. Yeah. So basically, what happens is uh, 
Ethan Hawke now no longer Barry. Right. <laughs> so basically says, here's some money. Go. Um, basically, you know where to be. Yeah. Because. And at this point, he's also told, like, he's he has told John everything. Like, mm-hmm. I'm an agent. There's yes. this agency. This is what we do. This is when time we, travel was invented. Right. This is how it works to we're, a certain degree. We're still vetting you for yes. this to take over this job. Like, yes. essentially, yeah. Like, like, basically saying, if you think it's so easy to go kill this person, go kill him. And then basically, I'll take you back to Mr. Robinson, and you can have the job. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll go from there. And then he's like, "Fine, show me where." He's like super eager. John's like, yeah. "Let's go do this." He's like, "All right, you know where he's going to be." Boom. So we then cut to uh, the university where Jane was taking etiquette classes, um, and you know, see John like looking around at everyone. You know, they're all wearing it? hats. Who's it going to be? Yeah. He's got a gun in his pocket. He's ready to go. And then he bumps into Jane, and then they have the interaction that we see previously in the movie. Where Jane talks to this guy, and then all of a sudden, John realizes, "Oh shit!" And he says the line that the guy had said to Jane that like got her attention. And he right. realized that he is the guy, right? So he fell in love with himself. Exactly. Essentially, he as a man fell in love with himself prior to going through the se- the second exactly. So John, the man, has now bumped into Jane, the woman, his same his, his same self. Yeah, back in 1964. And even though he knows exactly what's happening, he's like he enthralled. He still falls in love with her. Because I think, and obviously, he knows exactly what she's going through. Right. And he wants to help her. He wants her to he, feel good. He empathizes, he yeah. He empathizes, and he's like, I'm going to take care of her. Right. Um, so, question Would you have sex with yourself? Absolutely not. <laughs> 100% no. I, I know who I am. I'm a disgusting human. I would not do that. Absolutely not. So, Ethan Hawke sees this happen. He's like, would you? No. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't want to imagine what I'd be like as a girl, honestly. Ugh. And I then, I, again, as, I know I how six, I am. I see you 6'3", still with the beard somehow. Yeah, yeah, I know. Me too, with just long hair. No, even that, I'd probably still no. wouldn't have hair. Yeah. Just short hair. Yeah. That'd be gross. I'd be gross. Or bald. Both. Both. Can't it be both? Gross. Um, bald on the top and long hair from like the back of your head down. Like, like hey, Michael Bolton. What's up? Yeah. We probably like the same shit, but. Yeah. <laughs> Buddies! Yeah. I might have sex with you. Um, friend zone. Friend, yeah, I'd friend zone female Doug real quick. <laughs> I'm sure female Doug would do this exact same thing. Um, so we, Ethan Hawke sees this happen, and you kind of get the impression that Ethan Hawke made this happen. Right. Like it was supposed to happen. Well, he kept saying to himself, too, as he was watching this happen, you have one chance. You have one chance to get the fizzle bomber. If you don't take it now, you'll never get the chance. Something else to touch on real quick, too, is before John leaves to go find the mystery guy who you know uh, bedded Jane, he asked, do I have a choice? Right. And Ethan Hawke's character says, yes. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. And then John says, are some things just basically set in stone? Yeah. Like, are they predetermined? Are there there certain things that we just can't change? And then, you know, whatever, they go from there. I thought thought that was obviously a pretty important theme. It sets it up, yeah. (laughs) So Ethan Hawke, seeing that he's accomplished this goal, decides to make an unscheduled departure from his thing, which you're not supposed to do. Because as we learned early on, that if you do more jumps than you're supposed to, at some point you have to stop jumping. Right. Because it time. actually has a physical effect on you. Like it, it you get dementia. Dementia, Alzheimer's. Depression. Or yeah. Like you start having a hard time determining Mood swings. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. So he decides this is my only shot. I got to do this. So yeah. he then teleports back to the time, which I think we were going to say was what, 65, 64, where we were in the furnace room. Initially, like where basically where it opened. Yeah, where the so movie he, opened. He jumps back to the uh, the first scene. Where the guy is, yeah, having the show Because he knows that, which then, if you put it together, you realize that the person who was in the trench coat trying to stop the bomb was a younger version of him. Yeah. 
So he knows that the Fizzle Bomber is going to be there. So he shows up, tries to stop the Fizzle Bomber. Fizzle Bomber fights him, stops him, beats the shit out of him, and then everything plays out as normal. But then you realize the person who slides the violin case, who we saw the boots initially, we didn't know who they belonged to, yeah. they belonged to him. So as Younger Him is burning, he yes. walks over and pushes the violin case towards Younger Him mm-hmm. so he, Younger Him can hop back, mm-hmm. get facial reconstruction, and start this whole process over again. Yeah. Exactly. So he then teleports but out. But that's not where it ends. But that's not where it ends, folks. So now here's where it starts getting fun. So he then goes and pouts for a while. He's angry. And then he has to go do a really shitty job. But while this is happening, it's his intercut with Jane and John having a wonderful cup of coffee mm-hmm. as they start to get to know each other really well. And they really are hitting it off. You're seeing um, Ethan Hawke in a trench coat. Uh, at a hospital, and yep. you realize that Mr. Robinson shows up and starts talking with him, and Ethan Hawke does not want to do whatever he's supposed to do. Right. He's very adamant about not doing it. Mr. Robinson basically says, you have to do it. Right. Like, you've been a wonderful agent to us. Like, you've been, well, he says something about you've been the anomaly. Yes. Like, no future, you've no past. You've yeah. been a gift. Like, essentially, he's he is the most unique agent they've ever had come through because he has no tie to a past. He has mm-hmm. no tie to a future. Yeah. Yeah. And he basically says... You have to plant the seeds so that this can continue, right. more or less. Like, you have to do this. And then Ethan Hawke closes his eyes. He's like, it's going to hurt her so much. He's like, I know. Right. But you got to do it. So then uh, you realize, and also he admits that he's made an unscheduled, you know, right. time warp. And he's and, like, I'll take the, pr- I don't care. Like, I'll take the punishment that comes with he's it. He's like, I don't, yeah. And Robinson's like, I don't give a shit, basically. Right. Like, right. Robinson's like, look, sometimes I don't agree with all the bureaucracy. So yeah. we're just going to let that go. No big deal. Yeah. So then, as uh, they finish up the conversation, you see a nurse leave a room, and you see Ethan Hawke put on black gloves, and you realize he's going in the nursery to see, steal baby Jane. Right. Jane's baby from the nursery. He takes the baby, and he leaves. And then he... He time jumps with the baby. With the baby back to 1945. Right. Where he then leaves the baby at the doorstep of the orphanage. Right. Where Jane is then goes on from there. Right. And you can see Ethan Hawke's character is very lovingly taking care of the baby, like has like some kind words, you know, saying good luck, you know, you've got a great future ahead of you. And then he time ports back to, what is this now, 1964 again? So, yeah, so at this point, so far what we've established is that uh, Jane and Jane and the guy she fell in love with, which is John. herself, John, so the female version of Jane and the male version of Jane, which is John, have had sex and made this baby, baby Jane, mm-hmm. who gets time jumped back to 1945, dropped off at the orphanage, who then grows up to be Jane, Jane who then transitions to John, who has sex with themselves, yes. creates this baby, time jumps back. And yes. so this essentially, Jane has created herself. Yes. And so that, you know, is just a mind fuck in and of itself. Yes. Yes. So we're at this point, you're probably like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> right. So now we see. 37 minutes into the explanation, you're probably going. What? Ethan Hawke then teleports back to that moment where... This is essentially a third of the movie so Exactly, far. Yeah. yeah. We're killing it. Um, John and Jane are sitting on a park bench. John looks back and sees Ethan Hawke, and he tells Jane, stay right here, I'll be right back. Right. And he leaves, and he goes and talks to Ethan Hawke, and he like pulls a gun on him. He's like, you son of a bitch. You knew it was me. You knew I'd fall in love with her. And he's like, and I'm not going to leave her. I won't do it. He's like, I love her too much. You know, she doesn't deserve this. And then Ethan Hawke essentially was like, I know, I get it. But you don't really understand what he means at that point in time. He's like, I, I know how you feel, but I need you to take you to Robinson. 
so he'll understand. So right. he'll explain this to you, you get what's going on. And then John reluctantly agrees, and he looks down at a park bench with just Jane sitting there, and he's just like, fuck. I never wanted to hurt her. I never wanted to hurt her. He's like, I know. So then Ethan Hawke time jumps to 1985, because that's where Mr. Robertson is apparently all the time is 1985. Right. He likes that year. That's where he hangs out. He likes to hang out there. So then basically John gets put into the initial steps of the program, right. being tested, whatever. So and then at that point, Robertson hands oh, – I forgot to mention, during when Ethan Hawke goes back to stop the fizzle bomber in the furnace room, he picks up some evidence right. from the bomb. He gives it to Robertson, and then Robertson gives him a report where he's like, hey – I found some information on the fizzle bomber. He's like, but have you decided where you want your last time jump to go to be? Right. So apparently at the end of these agents' life, lifetimes, what they do is they get to decide a year in which they get to live in, moving right. forward, to retire in, right. more or less. And then they use their violin case. It takes them there. It deactivates, and they just basically live out the remainder of their life in that time period. Exactly. So he decides he wants to be in 1975, right around the time that the fizzle bomber sets off his big 10,000-person bomb because right. he wants to try and stop it. And he has a conversation with Robertson where he's just like, God damn it. Like, you know, Robertson's like, you've done amazing work. Like, you've stopped so many things. You've saved so many right. lives. He's like, but I never got the fizzle bomber. He's like, yeah, but the fizzle bomber's made us better. Right. He's The fizzle bomber has – our agency wouldn't be where it's at because we've had to make so many jumps or so many leaps forward in what we do in order to try to stop him that we're where we are because of the fizzle bomber. So in a way, it's been a good thing. Yeah. Even though he like, mass murdered a bunch of people. Yeah. He's like, he doesn't like it. So. Right. He decides to move forward with it. Um, he takes his last jump, and he heads into 1975, where he takes his. No, oh, he goes back to 1975. He grabs a Dewar's uh, scotch that he had on the from the bar from the bar where he's having a discussion with John. He's like, "Hey, I quit." And I don't know if you realize this, but the song that's playing is "I Am My Own Grandpa." Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While he's there, so. He leaves and he goes basically into this nice apartment and he starts drinking and he looks at his time uh, travel violin case and the the everything on it switches to decommission and then a few seconds later it switches back to fail error fail right so that leads us to believe that it's not actually decommissioned right it might still be in use and Ethan Hawks kind of looks at it weird like huh hmm, that's okay. peculiar yeah. interesting so he goes to a uh, antique store. Finds a nice little typewriter and starts chatting it up with chumming it up with some hot chick there at the antique store talking about writing again. And you can see that he's really trying to get involved with writing the the confessional stories again from the unmarried mother and everything like that. And then uh, you can tell he's trying to live a normal life. Well, at this point, we don't quite know because he's looking at a typewriter and she's like, oh, you, you know, you, you seem to be you know interested in writing and. He's like, yeah, and they have this little conversation. He goes back, and we see him start typing out, and we see him write, uh, you know, the the unmarried mother uh, by Jane, and then he exes it, like he crosses that out and puts John, mm-hmm. and that's our reveal, our the, like the grand reveal. Even though you kind of knew it was building to this, that's the grand reveal that he is he is Jane John. He's it He's all an older of these people. Of John. All of these people have been the same person. Yeah. And the reason why he looks different is because in that initial scene when the bomb goes off and he gets his face burned. Face yeah. burned, he gets facial reconstruction, changes right. his vocal patterns and everything like that, so his younger self doesn't recognize him. Right. So at this point you can see he's trying to you know because it looks like he has several pages that he's written and that last thing that he puts on top is a title page. Right. So I feel I feel like he can, he finished the novel. Yeah, he's like he's writing you could tell he just doesn't seem satisfied right. with anything. And he stands up and you can see the scars on his chest and his belly from where they had done the surgeries on him to basically make him a man. Yep. And you start putting together like, "Oh shit. So okay, cool. So this is the All right, cool. So 
Ethan Hawke is the older version of John. Right. So at this point, you see him looking at you know the evidence that Robertson gave him, and he decides you know that's it. I'm going to stop this guy. Yeah. So he has one lead where he knows at 1 a.m. the fizzle bomber is going to be at this laundromat. Right. So he shows up, grabs his gun, runs out, runs shows out, up. shows up, kicks the door in, and turns to find an older version of himself. Right. And he is horrified. To learn that it's an older version of himself, and he can't believe it, and the older version of himself is so happy to see him. Right, like we've you you finally found me. You found we can, me. We can be together now. You did it. You right. found me, and he's right. like, "You're a murderer." He's like, "No, no, 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 not a murderer, not a murderer. I've I, saved people's lives." Right, because of these ten thousand people that I blow up, many, 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 or all the not these ten thousand, but throughout the the course of the Fizzle Bomber's career, mm-hmm. he's blowing up. You know, he's still leading up to his opus, this ten thousand person sure. death, but. You know, in all the smaller bombings, he's killed a terrorist that down the road, because he's hopped to the future mm-hmm. and has seen like, oh, down the road, this terrorist that I ended up killing, you know, even though I killed 200 people, one of the people is this terrorist who down the road would have killed 3,000 people. Exactly. So I saved 3,000 people. So he's looking at big, kill, the, kill some to save the larger group. And he's like, no, 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 we we did good. Like, we've been saving. And I think what he doesn't realize is the more that he jumps, the crazier he becomes. And I think the reckless, mm-hmm. more reckless he becomes, he doesn't realize that he's right. killing innocent people right, while trying right. to stop the right. bad people. And the young Ethan Hawke cannot handle this at yeah. all. And he's just like, I'm never going to be like you. And he's like, mm, did you tell him that your time travel thing didn't decommission? Right. He's like, you didn't, did you? And it's... It's starting to dawn on Ethan Hawke, like, oh, that's a slippery slope. He's like, he goes, and he basically is like, you know, you're going to try and live a normal life. It's not going to matter. That girl you met at the shop, he's like, she's got a gross birthmark on her left hip. You're not going to like that. She can't cook for shit. She's going to drive you crazy. There's no one else out there. You cannot live a normal life. The only way we're going to get along is we have, it's you and me. Right. It's like I love you. Like basically you're... propositioning, let's be together. Yeah, and and make all this like let's quote unquote save people by yeah. killing everyone. Yeah. Exactly. And Ethan Hawke is like got his gun pointed at him. He's like, I, no, no. he goes no. And then the older Ethan Hawke, the fizzle bomber, basically goes, so here's your choice: you kill me, and then you become me, right? Or you let me live, and you love me even though I'm flawed, right? And, and then Ethan Hawke actually goes back to a really great moment. He starts repeating the line that he said to John back in the bar was, if I put him in front of you, could you kill him? Yeah, he starts saying that himself. He's like so frustrated, like, fuck, this is my own thing that I just said. Yeah. Like, that, oh, shit. And he's, you know, he's just so, he's so angry because he's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Because I think he knows it's right, but he just refuses to believe. Right. Like, he's like, I have to. Right. So he uh, he decides he shoots the fizzle bomber like, it's like the six loads, times, loads his clip in, yeah, him, and then probably has one of the best ending like over voiceovers, which is we're seeing the young John getting suited up for his first you know assignment. We see the Ethan Hawke who's just killed the fizzle bomber sitting in his apartment with his shirt open, and you hear him listening the young John listening to an old recording of the voice of his talking about how to do the job of like yeah, yeah. yeah. he's like you are the best thing that ever happened to me, and I miss you dreadfully. Right, and then it just ends credits. Oh, it's a good movie. It. So movie. there you go. Uh, you don't need to watch it now. <laughs> um, so that being said, now that we've kind of walked ourselves through it. What are what are your favorite takeaways from from the movie? Like, what are your favorite moments? Uh, my favorite moments, I would say, are uh, <clears throat> well, the, the concept of is everything uh, 
pre predestined, like to to kind of walk, like uh, you know, he's he's it, it alludes to the fact that he's predetermined to kind of walk through the same the same paces, time and time and time again. Uh, I, I like the idea of um, I like the idea of uh, it's not fate that I like the idea of, but it's it's this almost like they allude to in the movie this purpose, like like he's yeah. got like he forever is kind of. Uh, caught in this like game of purpose for his own life, but it's this this like it's the cyclical thing that just never never the snake stops. eating its own tail. The snake eating its own tail for yeah forever eating its own tail. My question to you uh, that I so like do you read that movie as this this is something that will it it is a it in and of itself is a timeline like it's a cycle that obviously it's happened before. We're sure. witnessing the way I read it is that we're witnessing one instance of this happening mm-hmm. but it continues to happen yes it is just it is never it's never ending it always is, is happening and it's happening because it's happening yes and it like it again so it's obviously like, it's a paradox it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. yeah what i found interesting about it was um my question is how did it start chicken or the egg which he asks mm-hmm. early on as a joke you know right. it's like right. first chicken or the egg and young john goes the rooster right <laughs> Which is interesting, and I love. There's a lot. There's a point where Young John calls Ethan Hawke a son of a bitch. And Ethan Hawke right. laughs. He's like, "That's that's interesting, son of a bitch. That's real funny." Yeah. Um. You know, just little things like that. What I love about the movie is we see the full iteration of the cycle through, um, mostly Ethan Hawke. Right. And what I love is his perspective through a lot of it because you see him because he's. He knows who Jane is. Right. He knows who young John is. And you see him having to deal with the fact where I'm like, he's like, I got to push this in a certain direction. I have to. Because if I don't, this doesn't work out. Right. But the thing that throws him for a loop and I feel like throws us for a loop is you don't realize that he is the fizzle bomber. And that. So you think at the end, his realization of that. Well, I think it's only because the only reason that that throws him for a loop is because we are following that one iteration of him. Yeah. So, like, obviously, I feel like, again, I feel like this has happened multiple mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And the At old that stage fizzle, of the process, that's This is just watching. where we're jumping in to, exactly. the, to, the, to the loop. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I feel like the, fizz, the old Fizzle Bomber, if we had rewound the clock and followed him 20 years prior, we would have seen this exact scenario play out again. Yes. And again and again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could have seen, you know, another 30 minutes where you see him become the Fizzle Bomber. Right, exactly, yeah. And yeah. then see him come to the point where he's so elated to see his former self. Because really, if you think about it, that is his child. You yeah, know? he is his own grandfather. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Quite I mean, literally, that yeah. Is, he gave birth to his child, loved that child more than anything. It got stolen from him right. by himself, you know, and like he, and honestly, the only person that's going to understand him is, him is himself. Yeah, exactly. So his, his and all that, it's such a very lonely position to do right. what they do it's very weird it's disorienting and there's no one he'll ever be able to relate to ever yeah so it's a very sad story in that regard but um i, I think the only thing that i feel like is a little bit of a misstep and i understand why they didn't do it because it was a real tight hour and 30 minutes um is i just wish i would have seen him do another like mean like another job like an, another mission where he actually stops somebody <clears throat> oh so like instead of instead of jumping into this one that is just the cer- the cycle for him Actually, seeing him go on another mission, or maybe we see a montage of him like stopping people, right? Because okay. I feel like the only thing he's ever done in his life is just hunt this fizzle bomber. And I, I don't I agree. see the results yeah. of what he's done because Robertson, although I do think Robertson is knows very well what everything is right. and he's playing it because I think he's like we need the fizzle bomber. 
Right. Without the fizzle bomber, we don't have this agency. Right, right. Without this agency, you know, not that, but the fizzle bomber does make everyone better. Right, yeah. Like well, and it. I think, do you think that Robertson, Robertson knows the whole story, yeah. right? Robertson knows of that course. this is this baby is, is him and it's a, this whole cycle. Yeah. Exactly. He yeah. knows 100% what it is, who he is and everything like that. Yeah. And I feel like it would have been great just to see Ethan Hawke stopping someone else or doing something, even if it was just like a two-minute montage or something. Or right, something, right, yeah, Just yeah. to show him like stopping other things or like seeing him racking up all this sort of stuff. Because you see him get a, a medal and it's like, hey, this is your second one. That's unprecedented. And I'm like, what do you get the first one for? Right, right. I just feel like this is the right. only thing he's solely focused on. And again, I, I see why they did it. Right. Because they had to focus There's on so that. There's so much There's story so there. so much happening and it can get real confusing real yeah. quick. That it's a great opening to be like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. To see it all unravel is absolutely amazing. But I just absolutely love Ethan Hawke at the end when he confronts his older self as a fizzle bomber. And he just sees, you see like the deranged hope in his eye. He's like, I won't, I won't, I won't be this guy. I will kill him and I won't do it. It's like me telling myself. I have a whole day to myself. I'm like, I'm not going to play games. I'm going to get stuff done. Today. Right. I'm I'm not going to. What happens? I play fucking games. <laughs> I know myself. I know it's going to happen. He knows that right, he's right. going to become the Vizzle Bomber because doesn't matter though. Yeah. And that look he has at the end, where he's like, you know, he, he looks at the camera and he's just like, I miss you dreadfully. And it's just like, yeah. Uh, oh, you see it. It's it, like that's he a wants cycle. that to come back. Yeah. He's like, I miss myself. I want to find myself. Do you think myself. he does that? Do you think he does? He becomes the Fizzle Bomber. Because uh, again, if the fizzle, if he, if he doesn't become the fizzle bomber, then then he doesn't pursue. He doesn't spend his life pursuing the fizzle bomber. So, do you think that the reason he does? Do you think the reason that he becomes the fizzle bomber is because he's lonely and he wants him to find himself? I think that's a great question. I think it starts out as him being like, you know what, this thing still works. I'm still going to do some good because I'm going to prove to myself right. that I'm not going to be the fizzle bomber. Right. I'm going to stop stuff from happening. I think it starts small where he's like, oh, shit, this happens. Well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to stop that guy from coming to work who's going to kill so many people. Right. And then the more that he does it, the temporal displacements and stuff like that starts messing with his mind. And all of a sudden he starts going crazy. He doesn't. He can't have this relationship with this girl. He's lonely. And so I think part of it will then start to turn to him. He's like, you know, eventually myself's gonna i'm gonna see myself i'm gonna see young right. john again he's like i can't wait and i think it maybe becomes a mesh of both yeah yeah he's like a i think he does believe he's doing well but i right. think he's also trying at the end he's trying to get his younger self to catch him yeah because he wants him it's to. like yeah be let's i need i need someone and you're the only person i'm and the only he's person so happy to see john yeah when he comes through there he's so happy to see him he's yeah. like just looks like a crazy old trucker at 1 a.m. <laughs> at this freaking laundromat. And he's just so thrilled. He's like, oh, my God, you're here at you last. Found me, yeah. He found me. He's so happy. He's like, oh, my God, we can be together. Right. And he's just like, and Ethan, Ethan Hawke's like, no, no. It's not true. Yeah. That, that ending is probably. I am your father. No. <laughs> no. Wait. Are you my, am I my father? But wait, wait. I'm my own grandfather. Wait. I don't understand. <laughs> what are we doing here? But um, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I, I will in recent say, years. I will say that it it uh, from just from a um, uh, a mental gymnastics standpoint, mm. like it definitely makes you focus on the movie. Like it's it's very um, it's very heady. It's mm-hmm. very uh, it's very smart's not the word I'm looking for, but I, it is smart. But there's a uh, there's another. It's like Neil Gaiman stuff. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, it's, it's got a lot of levels very to it. Cerebral, yeah, you know? cerebral. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, academic. I don't know academic, but cerebral's a good. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say that without sounding pretentious. Yeah, but it's like it's something that's like 
it's it's not your average blockbuster movie. Right. It's not going to necessarily spoon feed you some stuff. You're going to have to follow along. You're going to pay attention. Use context clues to figure it out. And, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And but, there's a lot of rewards. I feel like as a viewer. Yeah. In, in watching it. Yeah. I get. I just the, the acting is great, and there's not a ton of uh, locations. It's very like. Simplified in that sort of regard. And it looks great too, and the music's fantastic. It, I, I was going to say, whoever edited the movie, I thought did a fantastic job. Oh. I, I loved the cinematography. And the one thing I did notice is because I, I thought the bar scene mm-hmm. where he came into the bar, I was like, wow, they're really taking time in this scene. I didn't realize that was an entire chunk of the. It was essentially Act Two, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> act, act Two was it was Act One and Two, really. Yeah, like, really. I mean, that's. But uh, I, I didn't realize it was an entire act of the movie, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I loved about it is there was so much object work. Yeah. That's what I first noticed. I was like, you know, between him pulling the beers, like, you know, yeah. because he had other, as he was interacting with John, the bartender, uh, other people were coming up asking for sure. you know, two more buds, bud. Yeah. You know, and he was actually pulling drafts and like he was cleaning glasses and moving sure. things around. And I was like, as an actor. Shooting pool. Shooting pool. Yeah. As an actor and like as a, as a, as a, um, uh, continuity director or someone who's responsible for continu- spot and continuity like that's just you know that's Giant a hell egg. of a job man like yeah. like you're moving around and the one thing I thought was great is and I only spot I spotted a few continuity errors but one of them it was so small that only because only because I do a lot of editing work mm-hmm. did I did I was like oh my god that stood out to me but then I realized I'm like actually it it's totally acceptable was when he was pulling a draft and like they cut from one, one camera angle to another camera, which obviously one yeah. take to another take, but he was almost at the same point yes. of pulling the draft. It Did wasn't quite. Yeah. It was a little less it when was they cut slightly less, but I'm like, actually that like the Pretty fact that they good. nailed their blocking to that point is incredibly impressive. Yeah. I caught that too. Yeah. Actually that time when I was watching it, I was really I was like, impressed. What? Okay. That's cool. Um, but yeah, yeah just with so much movement and so much blocking, it's not easy to keep the continuity. And they did a no. fantastic job. And then you throw into that the fact that it's a time travel movie, yeah. And it's time travel all about one person taking this giant journey, yeah. Like, and then back, you know, it's it, the way I look at that. It's it's almost like the infinity the sure. loop, like yeah. you know, like a figure eight almost. Yeah, that's the way I look at this movie. Sure. Is it, it has that that kind of a pattern to it? Was it hard for you to accept as stuff was like presented to you, like these big moments, like when you found out that uh, you know Jane was actually. Uh, John, right? Was that hard? Like, was that weird? Or were there any points where you're just like, "Whoa!" That wasn't hard for me to accept it, but it was definitely points where I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> that sucks!" That's, like, this is different. Yeah. Well, like the, the the thing that that hit me, and and actually, it was towards the end when it really all of everything was kind of sinking in. I was like, "Wow, that is a lonely life." Like yeah. you, you created your essentially, you created yourself. Yeah. Like, how the fuck does that? Well, again, it's it's. The thing that I have a really hard time with is when I don't have a finite answer. And I'm like, again, <laughs> this is a literal chicken and the egg scenario. Yeah. Like, this person existed, but because this person existed, it created – this person created themselves. Yeah. But if they didn't create themselves, they wouldn't have existed. But if they don't exist, they can't create – and yeah. it just kind of goes back and forth on that. Like, that's that loop. And so, like, for me, like, it is truly the chicken and the egg paradox where I'm yeah. just like – Shit! Like, how did how did Jane first get there? Exactly, and it so that's the only thing that is is kind of a 
whoa, like yeah. that 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 I have a hard time with. Only, but that's more of a personal thing. Just sure, I'm like I want an answer. <laughs> I want an answer, You're man. Like what started the zombie apocalypse? Right. I need to know what car what caused the plague. Right, exactly. No, exactly. I I felt like as I was watching it, like because they did such a good job of setting stuff up, yeah, that it was easy for me to be like, all right, cool, I'm on board for that. Yeah, all right, I'm on board for that. And I was like, what? Yeah, I kind of had an inkling that John was going to be Jane's lover. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. There's, there really wasn't a ton that I called. And honestly, I don't try to do that that much. Right. Sometimes I do. Some Most of the times I don't. But um, Well, when a movie does the – I did it on this one only because they blatantly kept – like when, when Jane met her, her, her one love, they blatantly kept his face out of view. Sure. And I was like, okay, well, they're doing it. So that, for me, that almost like begs me to go invite. try to guess. like. Yeah. And so in my head, I actually had uh, Ethan Hawke's character Interesting. as that man, which technically I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Funny point to you said when they were when the Fizzle Bomber and Ethan Hawke were fighting in the furnace room hand to hand, and you said regarding the Fizzle Bomber, careful, she punches really hard. Right, right. I was like, he's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, he's wrong, but he's not wrong. Wrong. He's not wrong in the sense that it is that character. It's just not the female In a version. different iteration of that <laughs> character. Oh, man. So when you yeah. say that, I was like, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Which is hilarious. Yeah. but You know what's not hilarious? The I almost said the takedown again. The throwdown. <laughs> <laughs> this one we're going to do, it's a very serious throwdown. All right, let's do it. Serious very serious. And you're talk. going Real to talk. love. Can't wait. Love the characters I've picked for this I can't one. Can't wait. So... Uh, I was gonna try to do something from this movie, but I'm like, it's I might, it's way too heady for me. I'm like, I can't, because it's all the same person. It so, is, and we already, it's, it's we yourself already know, versus yourself. Yeah. We already know who wins because they shoot themselves. Right. Um, <laughs> so, Justin just looked confused for a second. I when think he said that. shot himself. Yeah. Is um, that suicide? Oh God! Oh no! <laughs> if you kill a clone of yours, or if you kill yourself in the future, is oh man! Oh boy! Oh, Law's I weird. I can't. Law's weird. Uh, so yeah, so this one uh, I thought we'd do two very um, historically accurate uh, characters. So we've got from The Last Samurai, Tom oh Cruise's character, oh, Jesus, okay, versus Matt Damon's character in The Wall. Ah, oh, boy. So two two white people, <sighs> one in Japan, one in China, for some reason, uh, just dropped into the hero role of a uh, an Asian-centric movie. Some really racist movies like, ah, they're both the same, right? right. Same countries, same thing. Yeah. Ah, cool, let's do that. So we've got the two, the two white guys that shouldn't be there in both movies, <laughs> essentially squaring off on each other. So a samurai versus what I, appear, I, I assume is an archer. I would have to assume that Matt Damon automatically has the leg up. Again, what's, what are we talking about terrain-wise? Is Matt Damon on the wall? Because if he's on the wall, I give it. I give him the. I was gonna. I was thinking maybe it's a siege on the wall. Okay. And Tom Cruise is leading the samurai in to take the wall. I feel like Matt Damon's already going to have the advantage because, because he's of got the wall. The wall. The wall. He's he's up top and he's got uh, ranged weapons. He appears about, to be a really good archer based on the trailers. Yes. What about this? Uh, there was a siege on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, bodies everywhere. Right. He's come down from the wall to kind of survey and make sure everything is still the structure of the wall is good, and he's 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 checking. He's, also he's a engineer. structural engineer too. <laughs> he's got a hard hat on, he's got, and a he's clipboard. Like, All right, guys, we need to. Uh, hey, uh, Danny, we need to get some more mortars over here. Force the mortar in this uh, section. Yeah, B3. I don't know, man. The cracks are here. The emperor's not. He's gonna have my ass 
for these cracks over here. It's not going to be good. Not going to be good. Oh, I'm getting dock pay for sure. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, <clears throat> so he's come down to inspect the integrity of the wall and just, and just to kind of survey, like, the battlefield, make sure, you know, no, there's no living and this and that. But from around a tree <laughs> comes Tom Cruise's character. He somehow survived. He was hiding. Let's oh, listen. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but basically the two of them are the last two standing. Would you say they were the last samurai? I would say that Tom Cruise is. <laughs> <laughs> but the two of them, essentially, they're, it's, it's, a, it's a one-on-one battle after they've already been in a battle. So they're both okay. winded a little bit. Like They're both a little tired. Sure. And, How far uh, away are they from each other? Uh, they are 50 yards away. Okay, that doesn't give Matt Damon's character much time. He maybe gets a couple shots off. Right. They're both on foot, too. Okay. I'm still going to give a slight advantage to Matt Damon because I don't think um, Tom Cruise's character was good enough to, like, deflect like, arrows <laughs> like, right, yeah, or, like, dodge them very sure, well because sure. he was, you know, part of the American... Couldn't dodge bullets. American military where yeah. they basically stand up in lines and fire at each right, other. So right. dodging isn't necessarily a part of his, you know, forte. Um, so I have a feeling that Matt Damon's character seems like a pretty proficient archer. Uh, so I assume he gets a couple shots off in that 50-yard time. Matt Damon's obviously going to run. He's a little winded. I'm sorry. Tom Cruise is going to run at him. He's a little winded. Right. Matt Damon's going to take a couple shots. I think he injures him at least. If not, uh, you know, I feel like he gets at least two of the three arrows in him. Yeah. Because I don't think that armor is really going to protect too you much. Think, and do you think those are kill shots or are they just slowing him down? Arrows aren't necessarily always kill shots. Okay. That's a misconception in movies. All right. Because really what they do is they plug the hole so that the blood can't come out. Okay. But they do wound you. Right. So at that point in time, I don't know how adept uh, Matt Damon is at hand-to-hand combat, but I'm right. assuming he has some sort of training. So I feel like he hits him with two of his three arrows. So he, get him, he gets him in the leg and the shoulder. Okay. So... Uh, so uh, Tom Cruise is basically like at this point in time, and why he was leading the charge is anybody's guess, but that's okay anyway. Um, so I feel like at this point in time, uh, Matt Damon's character just makes short work with him. He maybe pulls out a couple of swords that he has on his you know stuff, does some light work, quick. He's not injured, he's not hurt, just gets around behind uh, Tom Cruise, slits his throat. I would still say though, as a samurai, it's going to be hard to get around. It's going to be hard to get behind. He's him. not a real samurai. Yeah, but he is almost. He's not a real samurai. Yeah, well, okay. Matt Damon's not a real Great Wall archer either. Well, he is according to the trailer. Yeah, well, so so was Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise was not that good. Ah! He was not that good. He trained with them for like a summer camp, you know, like <laughs> over the winter. He was like, okay, I think I got how this works. You know, he had like a summer intensive or a winter intensive with. Uh, at uh, I.O. or something like that, you know. It's just right. like, you know. So I just but, you like, know, he, hey, look, he put one of the samurais on their asses. No. He did. No. He dropped one of them. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Are you talking about training? Yes. No. All right, let's go back and watch No, he's go back to they the have tape. a draw, and that's a huge deal because they draw, but he never puts them on their ass. Okay, well, fine. I the draws. <laughs> Out of how many fights that he's done over winter camp? I'm just saying he drew. <laughs> <laughs> didn't win. He had a draw. I'm That's like saying, kissing your sister when you have a when you have a tie. That makes no sense at all. You know it's true. <laughs> but it, am I my own sister? Are you my own sister? So, but I will say this then: Matt Damon can't be much better than he is. Like he's why? Well, we don't know. We don't know how long. Based on the trailer, we don't know how long he's been there. Based on the trailer, he looks like an extremely proficient and skilled archer. Mm. <laughs> he didn't have summer camp at, at the archery. Here, I'll say this, <laughs> For though, too. Dudes. I will say this, though, too. He, Tom Cruise, st- stood his own. He didn't win, but he stood his own against some of the samurai, even prior. He was already a good swordsman. He was already a good combatant. 
Yeah. Right? So I would say that it's going to be hard to get around behind him as Matt Damon. But if he's got two arrows sticking out of him, I think he's wounded. He's not moving very well. You know, He's not going to be able to defend or attack very efficiently. Depend what shoulder to go into. <laughs> right or left? Left. Ah, and see. right and right uh, right quad. Ooh, that's tough. Because uh, well, hmm. he won't be able to turn to his right very well. So All right, I'll give it to Matt Damon. Like, uh, I'll uh, give it to Matt Damon, but I'm yeah. going to change it up a little bit. Okay. Kill shot. <laughs> right, as, as Tom Cruise... <laughs> Tom Cruise is running beeline, not even yeah. zigzagging. He's just and, just, and Damon just goes right out, yeah, right, right the between the eyes. Yeah, right yeah. between the eyes. And boom, uh, no, boom. no, not not between the eyes because obviously that's bone that would be really hard to penetrate. I'm going to put it between throat. the throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets him right there, right there in the weakness. Matt Damon done. Matt Damon done, y'all. Y'all heard it here. Woo, we did it. <laughs> yeah, guys, thanks for hanging out with us uh, again. Thanks for listening to us talk about Predestination, one of my favorite movies. Definitely go check it out if it's, you haven't. Yeah, rent it. Definitely check it out. Uh, I own it on Blu-ray because I'm better than you. Oh, so you know. you know, go do that. But it's, seriously, it's worth checking out. Ethan Hawke's amazing. Uh, not Emma, not Emma Stone's great, um, and everything about it's wonderful. So uh, you guys can find Mind Gap on Facebook. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Mind Gap Podcast, and Justin has a website. You can find me online at justinstrandland.com. You can listen to this podcast as well as the other one I do with Milos every Monday. It's called The Best Bar Podcast Ever. And uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Justin underscore Michael. It's spelled M-I-K-E-L. While you're in the online realm, check us out on iTunes. Subscribe to us. Review us. Uh, let us know if there's a topic you want us to cover, or if you think you're interesting enough to be on the show, then let us know. Uh, two East Eighth is two East Eighth dot com, and Two East Eighth on all social medias. Hooray! Yeah. Guys, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. Mind Gap Podcast. Mm-hmm.